0: these
1: originals now it's time for
0: strong and stable 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 strong. Hello and welcome to another episode of Strong and Stable, yes, like the Great British Bake Off, Strictly Come Dancing and White Supremacists, we're back! (laughs) It's now September and the summer is already a thing of the past, much like the election and Arsenal's title hopes. And on the subject of football, many of us laughed at PSG as they spent £200 million on Neymar, when for that money they could have bought two DUP MPs. (laughs) Now let's go and introduce our guests. Uh, Firstly, Ian Dunt. He's the editor of politics.co.uk, author of the book Brexit, What the Hell Happens Now? and host of the podcast Romaniacs. A Romaniac, of course, is someone who opposes Brexit, and it's interesting that he implies a mad person, a maniac. Unlike, say, someone who believes that after Brexit, the NHS will get an extra 350 million a week, which is totally sane! <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Gronje Maguire is an award winning stand up writer and actor. Just to be clear, Gronje is from the Republic of Ireland, not Northern Ireland, and if you find it hard to remember the difference between the two, one has had its future thrown into turmoil by the post Brexit prospect of a hard border, and so's the other one. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. And and finally, Dan Hodges. Dan is a commentator for the Mail on Sunday, and I can't say that without singing the Craig David song. Mail on Sunday. Uh, I I can never do it. Uh, uh, When his prediction about UKIP's performance in the 2015 general election proved inaccurate, Dan famously ran down Whitehall in just his underpants. Thankfully, we don't have any information as to whether he swung to the right or the left. Uh, I'm
2: sorry. I rejected some even worse jokes for that one. Uh, Thank God. God. So what
0: was, that, what was that? What was that about? That you you had to streak.
2: You I, said. Yeah, I had to streak Nate down Whitehall, and, and in fact, that was one of the times when I actually that was one of my better predictions. So I actually got the general <laughs> election it right, okay. but just that you get vote share wrong.
0: Okay, because uh, you do have a history, which is obviously why we've invited you here as an expert <laughs> yeah. of getting predictions
2: wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> right. I, I'm so glad I didn't pre- pledge to streak before this election. I wouldn't have had any clothes on for what, a year. What, what was think. your? What, what are some of your highlights of bad predictions? Uh, oh, well, you you name them. I think probably my prediction of Tor- <laughs> Theresa May's 100-strong majority on the eve of poll was probably, <laughs> it was probably one of the highlights. I think that was, that was probably up there. Anything it wasn't you who went on the walking tour to Wales with her and said... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, the on Theresa, go for it.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Oh Well, anyway, welcome, welcome, dear guests. Um, so, um, let's start with Brexit and the negotiations have been making significant progress over the summer, if by significant progress you mean agreeing on which type of biscuits to serve. Um, yes, the talks have hit trouble quicker than Malaysia. Lania's hand retreating from Donald's touch. Um, the, the latest news is that Theresa May is going to make a speech in Florence. And if the headline the next day isn't Florence and the machine, then we've failed as a nation. Um, Ian, if I can start with you as a Brexit expert, is Brexit the biggest mistake since the Nobel Prize Committee said, that Aung San she's a nice lady. Let's give her a peace <laughs> prize. How do you think uh, it's going? It's
3: not going very well. In fact, it looks like a complete shambles. And most of this stuff isn't really the outcome itself. I mean, you could probably do Brexit it in a relatively sensible way as long as you said to yourself we're going to give ourselves a realistic time frame if you took like maybe seven to ten years if you really thought we're going to bulk up negotiating capacity if you came up with some realistic objectives of what you were trying to achieve and how you were trying to do it you could do this thing it is possible it's not the thing itself it's the manner in which they're doing it what they've done for the last year and a half is just get lost in this infantile game where they're just you know just squalling about what they want what they want what they want not talking about what their negotiating partner wants and coming up with these almost sort of sci-fi plans, I mean, the customs position paper is the absolute pinnacle of this. I know that you're obviously desperate for me to use words like customs position paper because it brings in so many listeners. Did
0: you see? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hello to all customs position papers fans out
3: there. <laughs> <laughs> they're queuing outside the door. But nevertheless, I mean, the stuff that they're putting in these things, it is proper sci-fi Mickey Mouse nonsense of the highest order. I mean, what they're, what they're talking about is... They're basically talking about tracking every product that comes into Britain to find out where it gets sold. Every banana, every pen, every chair. It is just Utter nonsense, and so now, shock of all shocks, turns out it's not working out particularly well when you just start screaming that you want all the things in the world.
0: That's 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 a great exciting uh, start for us there. I mean, what's grown your house? I mean, you're you're Irish without being that. Oh, you're Irish, so you've got to talk about <laughs> Ireland. Don't talk about anything else. Um, but I mean, the Irish border is like that's the thing. When I when I no, I I confess, uh, sort of full disclosure, I am a, a Remainer, a Ramona, um, and the th- whenever I'm engaging in in a polite manner with um, Brexiters on Twitter, I always say, "What's what's your solution to the Irish border?" What's and then they watch them flail. What so how's it looking from from Ireland?
4: So don't worry, I have a solution of what we do oh, with the Irish that's border. Such a <laughs> that's such Are a you remake. listening, Theresa May? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what we should do is everybody who voted for Brexit should be made do a tour of duty working the Irish border. Okay. It's so just like six months, little <laughs> checkpoints. Oh, yes, that's nice. There'll be nice. basic training. Right. You know, yeah. they'll get like, you know, maybe, I don't know whether there'll be, uh, you know, guns involved, but, you know. Okay. And then I can see problems with... there, I have to, especially <laughs> when
0: you say guns, and that's, uh, but, but it is actually a better solution than many that have been. No, uh, you, know, you me- get
4: your little letter in the post going, oh, Luxury like service. Yeah. Yeah,
0: border service. Yeah, they are.
4: I'm off to t- doing a tour of South Armagh for the next six months. Well, maybe,
0: but maybe we don't tell them what they have to do. There's no training. And we just say, listen, you voted for this. Go yeah. and, you know, you've got... Here's your two weeks. Go and sort it out. And, I don't know, Dan, have you got a solution to the Irish border issue?
2: No, I'm not sure sending a group of hardcore Brexiteers to the Irish border counties is necessarily... <laughs> That would be top of my list uh, for a variety of reasons. But uh, no, I don't. I, and actually, I mean, we're joking. I mean, if, if you speak to ministers uh, privately, they do actually say that what I think we can now call the Irish question um is actually one of the one of the big problems for them. I yeah, mean, for me, the are, Irish question
0: used to be how do I get these bloody YouTube yeah, albums no, they, off of my iTunes. They, they <laughs> are
2: actually they are actually very very concerned about it. I mean, I think more broadly, um, I mean, I thought you know. But what could they do about it? That's what are they planning to do? Well, about that's it? why they're concerned about it because they haven't got a solution. No. I mean, that you know that, that isn't. And I, th- I think the I think part of the problem is I mean, this was a major issue. It wasn't. It didn't come up in 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 the referendum, certainly. On the mainland, if I can sort of use that that phrase, because I don't think people actually understand the significance of the the, the border issue and the border control issue to the broader peace process, and in particular, obviously, the, 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 the relevance of that to the to the nationalist community in, in Ireland. And that's why ministers are, are very concerned about it. Um, now, in terms of the broader sort of thrust on 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 Brexit, and I, and I, I do sense we don't have a lot of hardcore. Brexiteers around this table mm. uh, this morning, so Sorry about that. I, I will try to play play the role of devil's advocate, especially given that Ian sat on the fence uh, in such <laughs> a passionate way. There, um, I mean, I do think Ian's right in terms of the, the narrative and the perception of Brexit. There is a perception that certainly that, that that's developed over the summer that the thing is the thing is a, a shambles. What I would say is. If you think about the dire predictions of what a Brexit vote would mean, and I, I remember those dire predictions because I made a lot of them um, in my column, a, a lot of people were saying that that the moment we voted for Brexit, uh, the British economy would go off a cliff. There would be hell and damnation would come, would come sweeping upon our heads. And the reality is that hasn't that hasn't happened yet. Similarly, in terms of the, the concerns about the negotiations, it's absolutely the case that there is a perception that, that 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 a lot of the progress hasn't been made but we are still at the start of this process and the nature of negotiations is people on on opposite side of those ne- negotiations don't tend to start off by saying right okay we've got total agreement you can have this I'll have that off we go you know this is going to be a, this is going to be an extended process not least because i th- i think part of the problem is our european partners some would say legitimately uh, do seem to be intent on using this process to teach us a bit of a lesson. Mm.
4: But do you blame them? I would. No, like I don't a, blame them. In, I well, I mean, in I, in, in one
2: sense, I, in, in one sense, I don't blame them because if you look at the nature of the rhetoric that has been directed at them, not just over the course of the referendum campaign, but you could say over the entire course of our participation in the European project, we have not exactly been been, been the best neighbours. But I equally think the idea that that that, that Britain now needs to be the subject of a punishment beating to send a message to anybody else within the European Union who may be thinking of going down a similar path do so at your peril. Gronage, do you want to just? Oh
4: uh, Punishment beatings. Hello, Ireland.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> punishment beatings. Yes, yes. You like. can't help yourself, can you? You can't well, help have yourself. Your <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: Uh,
0: um, but you defend the EU. Yeah, I
4: just think why Britain didn't vote with its head. It, Britain didn't vote economically when it voted for Brexit. It voted emotionally and it voted politically. So why shouldn't the EU do the same? Britain. It's the weird thing about a, a Brexit the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games, I remember watching that thinking, yes, that's the UK that I love. I've lived here for 10 years. Yes. And my parents are from the generation that they always view British people as arrogant and condescending. And then I was like, no, this is what Britain is like now. And I feel like in the last 18 months, my parents' Britain has reared its head and it's arrogant and it's condescending and if EU is what it takes to humble us I'm sorry guys it could be for your own good this is all uh, 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 Britain's
0: sorry you know, I come to you yeah. in a moment but it just, uh, just interesting that Brexit really is about you working through stuff with your parents yeah
4: basically
0: um,
3: That's it here. Yeah. I mean, look, I just don't sign up to this idea that they're trying to punish us at all. This is how the single market operates, all right? It, it meshes economies together so that you can trade with one another as if you're the same country. That's how that works. It means you can send goods over because you've got the same standards. So you've got, let's say, the same recycling standards on the way that you do packaging. Well, let's say that, you know, the way that the car works in terms of electrically doesn't interfere with pacemakers. So it means that you don't need to check it on your border for the way that it goes across. That is how the single market works. That's why trade works in the single market. Now, we've said we don't want to stick by your standards. We don't want to sign up to your rules, but we still want all the goods to be able to cross over with anything. For them to say, no, mate, you can't you can't do that because that doesn't make any fucking sense, is not an act of punishment. That is just them saying, this is how the system operates. So it's up to us, if we are not going to properly comprehend the manner in which trade works, the manner in which economics works, the interests of other partners, then we are our own punishment mechanism. It is not them doing that to us, it is us doing it to ourselves.
2: Well, I mean, and I'm sure there are a lot of people that agree with that point of view, but my concern about this argument is, this argument is in the sense, Playing into the brexiteers' hands, the brexiteers are the ones that have always portrayed um, our relationship with the EU as one of being a subservient relationship. It's the brexiteers who has who, always portrayed it as being actually a malign relationship. These people aren't our friends; they're not re- even really our partners. They secretly hate us, and th- the nature of some of the rhetoric, I, 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 you know, I think th- th- the idea that. That there have not been some sort of aggressive, you know, aggressive, <laughs> relatively aggressive and helpful statements from the European side of the negotiation well, French, I think would be would be yeah, slightly. But
3: like what? what is the rhetoric that the Europeans have used against us? That has been so pernicious. I mean, what Juncker said the other day was that, you know, Britain is about to realise that it's going to have a hard time outside of the single market, which is demonstrably true. What Michel Barnier said the other day is that Britain was about to be educated about the advantages of yeah, the single Younger's market, up, which Younger, is Younger you stay, know, demonstrably true.
2: Juncker stands, Younger stands up and Juncker does, does speeches and says, well, I'd normally be speaking in English, but we don't need to bother with that because English are completely irrelevant now. Well, it's now, really
3: funny, but if the only English speaking country leaves the EU, then they may not feel the <laughs> need to keep on talking in that language.
2: Don't, don't let's not forget Ireland. <laughs> i just th- let myself out like.
4: I think well I speak and my brain speaks in Irish so it's fine Um <laughs> I think it feels like uh, the EU has been like the... Uh, Britain has used to, to blame for everything. Everything that's wrong in the country, it's EU's fault, EU's fault. And I think in the next few years, Britain is about to realise the calls have been coming from inside the house the whole time. Mm, exactly. Mm. And uh, that will be when things get interesting. Mm. Mm.
0: Yes, I mean, uh, the thing that gets... me an interesting point that you're making about how things aren't as bad as Project Fear said they would be. And I always, that always amuses me because, first of all, we haven't left. Mm. And, and secondly, it's like saying, well... Uh, Project Fear said we'd lose four limbs. I've lost both arms at the moment and I'm running towards a combine harvester.
3: <laughs> that's the sort of thing
0: that's, that's happening. I mean, Ian, is there any positive... What, what can we do now? If, if, you, if, if David Davis came to you and said, listen, uh, it's, I know it's obvious, but I don't know what the hell to do now, what would you suggest?
2: And he may well do that, yeah, actually. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting for some time now. Um, look, he needs to buy himself time. This is the core thing. The main thing that we suffer from is time. So the first thing, of course, is to talk about transition. And ultimately, when we're thinking about where we're going to end up, it is not completely nuts for someone to go, we could have our own bespoke EEA agreement. Like The Norwegians, the Icelanders, they have this sort of basically deal. We go, We're pretty much in the single market. We accept all of the single market stuff on the areas where we share. We care a lot about fish. So we're not going to deal with you guys on fish. We're not going to deal on agriculture. Now, Britain you know, cares about other things a bit more than that. Although politically, fish has a disproportionate influence um, on the way that we do things, even if it doesn't economically. So in the end point, we could say, look, we are going to sign up to these single market rules on this aspect. We are going to say on this stuff, we want to be independent. And that's where we want to get to in about seven years time. How can we make this negotiation work? But for us to do that, we have to be realistic. Okay. And that means, yes, you have to accept freedom of movement. You have to accept the rules of the market if that's how you're gonna trade. And if we're gonna keep on having this demented, hysterical approach towards immigration, we are going to make ourselves poorer. There is no way of getting over that balance. You can have one thing or the other. We can take the country right back to the 1950s. Everyone can look the same. Boiled cabbage for dinner every night. No more curry and no more funny languages on the train. Fine, but you're going to be porous. If that's what you really want, that's the price. The other way is to say we can be an open country. We can make this work in a bespoke, some kind of eventual bespoke arrangement with the EU, but sensible objectives... And some kind of openness to immigration, because without it, we're doomed.
0: And I see you want to come yeah, in on no, the ball cabbage. Thing. <laughs> thing. <laughs> I, I, absolutely, I'm
2: here to defend ball cabbage. No, but I think that's I think that's the key thing. I mean, because Ian says we have to be realistic, and I think this is the area where the Remainers, with respect, are not being realistic because the Remainers are still clinging to this fantasy that there is there there is some way that we can have some sort of we can we can in some way honour the Brexit result, Whilst simultaneously remaining within the single market and retaining uh, freedom of freedom of movement, and you know, you said about this, you know, this toxic immigration debate that we're having. You know, frankly, I, I now pine for the days of a toxic immigration debate in this country because we're not having a debate. The debate's over, and progressives like me and I think you um, have lost this debate. So, and you and you can see it. You can see it in the situation where we had a situation last week where there was this huge leak of the government's uh, immigration proposals. And Jeremy Corbyn, who I am told on a daily basis is a bastion of of, of progressive values in, in in this country, didn't even mention it. Why didn't he mention it? Because he knows he can't mention it politically, because he knows the argument has been lost, and that if he tried to get the Labour Party to sign up to uh, to a retention and a defence of free movement, he wouldn't be able to. He wouldn't be able to do so. Now, if the Labour Party isn't able to defend this position, you can obviously the Conservative Party isn't isn't going to defend
3: it. And that is the circle that can't be squared. That is so, such a so, profoundly fatalistic attitude. I haven't done it for years. You were so good on this. You sat there in the mail, right where that message needed to be most heard. With people like me, you know, with all of my <laughs> metropolitan yeah. bullshit, never have a chance of getting hold of that audience. You made the case again and again in its all comments. Now, if your position is now, we have fundamentally lost this. There's no chance. There's no point even trying to argue for it. All that is, is giving up, giving up on immigrants in this country who deserve to be represented out there and to not have their names dragged through the mud. As if there's some kind of problem, rather than a contribution to the country. Giving up on the quality of the life of the people in this country, if you're saying that we're not going to be in the single market, we will all be poorer, and the poorest people in this country, those in manufacturing, those in agriculture, they will be the poorest of all of us. The bankers will be absolutely fine. So, so,
0: yeah, just I, I want to move us on, but just to say that um, uh, the Brexiters didn't give, give up for 40 years. And yeah, they, exactly. they, if they'd yeah. have said, well, the argument's been won, then... Uh, uh, then, then you know that th- we shouldn't say the same about immigration. And I've just used uh, abused my power just to say, well, I'm going to say something, <laughs> and, and then I decide, then I decide, we'll move on. So there you are. Um, but I, actually, I would sort of move on to what, just picking up on your uh, talking about labour. If we could just a moment before we move on for Brexit and how they. Well, for me, they're sort of going for us like a Schrödinger's Brexit, where you're both <laughs> in and out. You don't know where you are until you like open the box and see. Um, I mean, do you, uh, Grani, do you find the Labour position frustrating?
4: I'm um, on Brexit. Yeah. Um, Keir Starmer seems—I mean, God—he seems really intelligent, and I trust him. Uh, but you know, Labour's in a difficult position because the Conservatives can just be like, "We're Brexiteers," but Labour does span a much wider sort of attitude towards it all. So, yeah, I can understand it's that they have to be slightly more new. I wish, obviously, that they were more, and they seem to be becoming more. Um, uh, anti-the uh, whole thing. Yeah, so yeah. I find that a bit more reassuring.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because I I get the impression that you're sort of, perhaps like myself, basically uh, a Remainer who just wants... I just want them to just... Just please feed the party Remain, which I understand. And especially because of the election, I can see how their decision not to just go Remain um, was, was a clever one. But um, Ian, I, what, what's your thinking it on th- that?
3: Look, it has worked out so, well for them, this kind of sort of constructive ambiguity sort of thing. And then obviously annoys the hell out of people like me. Because, you know, every... It, he simply lies. I mean, you know, well, he lies or he's stupid. I mean, you can tell you... The, the blessed Jeremy lies. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> who, who would have thought, would have thought <laughs> yeah, the saint from on heaven? But, you know, he comes out the other day, he says he keeps on saying this thing, you know, quite apart from what we think should happen. He says, you can't be um, in the single market if you're not a member of the EU. Now... It is objectively, factually false. So he's either lying or he doesn't understand how this stuff works. If he doesn't understand how this stuff works, his failure of responsibility as leader of the opposition at a crucial moment in this country's history is so, so categoric, so spectacular that he should be held in disgrace. If he knows what he's doing and he's lying, then fine. But he is really playing the same old Blairite politics that we were so assured his plain speaking new approach was going to differentiate himself from. I suspect, by the way, that if you look at the people around him, John McDonnell, James Milne, that actually it is a lying thing, that those guys do get it. And that what they're really aiming for is, you know, they're going to get into the transition. At some point, the Tories will be kicked out because the whole thing will just be this, this absolute churning mechanism that will just mash them up and throw them, spit them out. And then at the end of it, they're going to try and go for the kind of thing I was talking about before—some kind of bespoke EA thing. They'll get some tinkering stuff on freedom of movement, job offer conditional, or something like that, and they'll say it's some great reform that has fundamentally changed. I suspect that's their plan.
0: Uh, Dan, you're a big fan of Jeremy Corbyn, oh, so okay. i expect you to.
2: No, actually, on this one, I'm actually going to—I'm actually going to defend him, and I'm actually going to take my, for my giving <laughs> us an exclusive here. <laughs> I'm going to take my devil's <laughs> <laughs> advocacy up to, a, up to an entirely new, new level because, I mean, Ian says, you know, he lies. He doesn't lie. He's, he, Jeremy Corbyn on this has been has been very clear. He has said, I will respect the result of the referendum. There will be no second, ref, second referendum. Uh, we have to leave the EU. We have to leave the single market. We will not be part of a customs union. And with respect, as, and you put your finger on it, people like you, David, say, oh, God, but really, I really, really want Labour to be the party that opposes Brexit. I want Jeremy to be the person that opposes Brexit. And he isn't. But he keeps, but you keep trying to interpret in a way that reinforces your values. His position, mm-hmm. he's been very clear, and in, you're absolutely right. He did a very good trick in the election. He basically made all the sort of, you know, strong remainers. He made you all look like mugs. You all went out. You all <laughs> voted for Labour because because Labour was the anti-Brexit party. You woke up the next morning and suddenly thought, hang on, I saw it, saw him on Andrew Marr saying, no, 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 I, I, I'm out. And you thought, hang on a second, Cronia, yeah. Cronia, how do you feel about? Uh, do you feel mugged off by No,
4: because the thing is, if people did this as a protest vote, saying Parliament isn't listening to us, and that's why we're voting, and then if Parliament then turned around and was like, nah, you're a bit thick, you didn't understand it, then, you know, that's not going to solve anything. So, the real like, Britain did vote for Brexit. So, I think what Jeremy Corbyn has been saying all along is, OK, Brexit is happening, but let's try and make it the best Brexit. And I think that's just the mature adult response mm. to it all.
0: Yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, for me, I think you're right. And I, you know, I'm since the election, I'm I'm I've signed back up to mm. Jezza, but I still feel that it's a, the Labour attitude to Brexit is a bit like uh, Pinocchio in Shrek Three when he tries not to answer a question. And I had to sort of that I went to the um, I went to the Google and had a look at what Pinocchio. So when Prince Charming asks him where Shrek is, I've rewritten this uh, to be Prince Charming asking Pinocchio what the Brexit plan, what the Labour Brexit plan. It works brilliantly. I think. I think. Well, let me just read it so Prince Charming I'll try and do two voices so you can um, <laughs> Tell me, what is your Brexit plan? Ah, uh, well, um, I don't know what it isn't. Uh, you're telling me you don't know what your plan is? Ah, uh, it wouldn't be inaccurate to assume that I couldn't exactly not say that it is or isn't almost partially incorrect. So so you do know what your Brexit plan is? Uh, on the contrary, I'm possibly more or less not definitely rejecting the idea that in no way with any amount of uncertainty that I end up... Do, do anyway you get the message <laughs> to me pinocchio is in shrek three is unfortunately the labor party spokesman on brexit um anyway we better better move on me having got that off my chest thank you for that um uh, in, in, indulgence there strong and stable this takes us nicely to the EU Withdrawal Bill, aka the Great Repeal Bill, aka Theresa May's attempt with her Henry VIII powers to take us back not just to 1950, but to 1540, which was the exact time on a Tuesday afternoon she decided to become a power-mad dictator. Let me start with gronya I mean, this the Great Repeal Bill. Does this make you uncomfortable?
4: I just think any bill that's called after Henry VIII is unlikely to be good. Mm. I mean, he hasn't got the best track record. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just madness. It just seems to be uh, the Conservatives going, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. It, we'll sort it. Don't worry. Yeah yeah, 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 It's fine. Yeah. We'll wing it. It'll be brilliant. And just considering the talent that there is in the government right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's not the most reassuring. Yeah,
3: yeah. So, Ian, are you uh, pro repeal bill? Oh, as you can imagine, I'm a huge supporter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, we always knew that they were going to have to use the statutory instrument the, the things, which is the same as the Henry VIII powers, the same as delegated legislation, whatever. They, they come up with all of these boring, really arcane language to use on this kind of stuff because they basically want you to look somewhere else and all the most pernicious stuff in politics basically happens when you start looking somewhere else that's why these things have such boring names they're always going to have to use them there's all these little technical bits you've got to change you know one bit to another bit you've got to change one bit of wording that says eu into a bit that says uk and you don't need to have a whole parliamentary debate every time you do it but it was incumbent on them to put safeguards on these things they could have put. They could have allowed for amendments. They could have created committees to evaluate whether they were being used for their proper function. They could have even done something, you know, really radical. They could have like brought in NGOs and trade unions and business leaders to sit on committees to evaluate these things. There were ways of guaranteeing to the public we're not misusing this power. Instead, what did they do? They come out with this bill. You look at sort of, um, I think, yeah, so I would look at Clause 7, Clause 8, Clause 9, I think Clause uh, 13, especially Clause 9. I mean, these are the clauses basically just allow ministers to do whatever the hell they damn well please. Then you look at Clause 9 and Clause 9. The most startling, I think, the most startling thing I may have ever seen in a piece of British legislation says, oh, and by the way, we can use these powers on the bill itself as well. So not only do they turn ministers into little mini-parliaments, but any safeguards they do put in the bill, they can then undo using the powers they've given themselves using the bill.
0: That is the astonishing thing. I mean, that, that, that bit of the, the clause that, you know, we can change the old bill. It, I mean, it, it's, it reminds me of Playground where you said, Bagsy no returns till infinity, that means you. <laughs> I mean, that is so... We can't do anything because he's bagsied no returns. It's, and it's so... I mean, to me, who's often accused of being uh, anti-democratic because I'm a Remainer, uh, the, the democracy. All these people said, make Parliament sovereign. We must make Parliament sovereign. But, uh, but actually, we not, not Parliament. Uh, let's 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 not do the, uh, par- let, let's not show Parliament Article 50 bill. Let's uh, make ministers sovereign, which is what this this seems to be doing. Uh, all let's even objecting to um, to their policies. Uh, you're being anti-democratic. I just think. Where is democracy? And that's where the tweets that I saw, Dan, actually, because I was banging yeah. on about. Well, now
2: this committee stage—they're
0: rigging the committee stage. That's anti-democratic. You know, I have to say, I,
2: I, I do think we do need a slight sense of perspective. I mean, firstly, within the within the um, it, it used to be the Great Repeal Bill, the Great Reform Bill. It's now sort of just the reform, plain old <laughs> run of a mill reform bill. Um, even within the bill, there are are and there will, I suspect, in committee stage, be built in. A series of of, of set clauses to to, to to save us from 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 the dictatorship. Um I, that's, I do have that's
0: a, where we're at. We're just gonna well, be slightly d- saved y- from y- utter dictatorship. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but I, 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 I do slightly struggle with this argument that this that, that, that this this move is 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 you know undermining parliamentary democracy given that the move was actually just this week endorsed by Parliament Parliament itself. And I'm also slightly perplexed at this idea that Theresa May is now this Henry VIII figure with this overarching uh, this overarching power. There has not been a prime minister in, in in modern political history who has been in a weaker position than than, than Theresa May. And the reality is, if she did do anything, um, especially e- e- egregious, she w- Parliament could immediately intercede, and she would be would be out on her ears. So I'm not in t- I'm not as quite. Sort of emotionally it's, invested in this moment as, as,
3: as, like as some Ian's, others. I've got to be Ian's, honest.
0: He, Ian's leaning Ian's, right forward. Ian's, he's practically I kissing am. you, Dan. I mean, to, you. to be fair, it's
3: quite a small room. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not true. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the, my thing, my thing with the sunset clauses is it, it doesn't specify the date that they start. It says whenever Brexit is, but. It doesn't say who gets to say when Brexit is. So, of course, you can set that date at any point you want. And then, anyway, even if that wasn't there, again, clause nine means you can change all of these rules without any parliamentary debate itself. Yep. So, there is no safeguard they can put in there, which would be remotely tolerable but, by virtue of the powers contained yeah, but in the
2: bill. I mean, you were saying before about we need to be realistic. I mean, what realistically, what, what, what. Re- what major change to the Brexit process do you think ministers can unil- could unilaterally, in a practical political sense, could unilaterally impose against the will of the House of Commons, which would mean by definition going against the will of a majority of the Parliamentary Conservative Party?
4: Be, I doubt, it's not going to be like there's going to be a dictatorship. They're not... Organized enough for like proper evil to take (laughs) on the street, (laughs) but it'll just be shit. You just, I just don't trust them. I just don't think they're, you know, sophisticated. It'll just be everything. It'll just be the rubbish option. And then in decades' time, people will look back and go, "What?"
0: Can I move us on uh, a little bit? And just uh, we've we've mentioned her, which is hardly unsurprising. Theresa May. How's she doing? Is it grony? Do you think she's she's uh, as she said, and she's a woman who we can trust when it comes to elections? Uh, She's going to be there till twenty (laughs) twenty
4: (laughs) two. I. I find May fascinating. I don't understand how you can get to 60 years of age and only then realise you're not a people person. <laughs> <laughs> how is that possible? <laughs> and I, I think it's so funny because uh, Tories used to call her mummy in sort of weird way. Did that, they? Yeah, they? Yeah, like, because they're all creepy people who fancy their nannies. But <laughs> uh, now I think they call her mummy because she just She's dead, but she keeps walking.
0: Again, your parents' problems.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I
0: mean, seriously, I, I we should make this 50 minutes of therapy length. And then like
4: <laughs> I think she's uh, hilarious as a as a. She's like Bridget Jones, but uh, the poly- like talk about self sabotage. She's fascinating. And I almost feel sorry for her.
3: She is basically being kept there as a human shield because the guys that would take over know how punishing the next few months of Brexit are going to be. They know the kind of compromises you're going to have to make or the repercussions of not making those compromises. And either way, it's bleak. And so they're happy for her to just take all of that damage and then hopefully one of them steps in on the other side. You know, that's what she is right now. And when you look at the government... You know, you can't find any coherent story to tell about it, really. You can't really say say what its values are. You can't really say what it wants to do, even on Brexit, which is basically the only thing it's trying to do, full stop. And the reason for that is she has no authority. they are a bunch of cats fighting in a bag, and the only thing they can agree on is that they'd rather it was her taking the punishment than themselves.
0: Dan?
2: Big fan? Do you know what? Actually, even though I know she's an absolutely appalling and useless politician, I, on, on a personal level, I actually, I actually agree with you. Actually, I actually came out of the election campaign with, with more personal sympathy for Theresa May. If only I, I went to, I went to this event. I think it was a campaign early in the campaign in Bristol, and it was in this small community hall, and obviously. All ordinary people had been had been thrown out, <laughs> and a small group of Tory activists had, had been had been bussed in. So there are about sixty or seventy people in the hall, very small audience, relatively small press pack. And she came in uh, to speak to it, speak to them. And if you look at her up close, like her hand shakes and 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 the voice trembles, and she's got this affectation where just before she starts speaking, she does the sort of like the May pause where she'll literally stop, and you think she's not going to be able to get through this and then she starts she starts talking you see you're, you're loving it you're loving a, a, you're loving no, it the poor woman. and i actually thought you know the you know going through these things going through the, as you said you know the process of meeting ordinary people campaigning all this sort of stuff and there's all this sort of stuff which she loves you know people around her saying she loves campaigning you know she she it, it is a physical it is a physical torture for for this this woman to get what through it and the fact that said to her exactly
0: <laughs> so you because the, you hate people or you hate being around people and the you should
2: be that she somehow has managed to get through all this and get to a national leadership position is is incredible but the, the the reality is in, in you know she's she's gone. I mean, in eighteen months she'll be gone.
4: Is she like the Tory Gordon Brown? Do you think?
2: No, because Gordon Brown didn't. Ha- I mean, Gordon Brown had his had his God. Gordon bless him had his faults, mm. but he didn't. Ha- he didn't have the same physical discomfort. You know, he could give a speech. He could address people without mm. without it being a physical a physical chore for him. I mean, on a personal level, you know. Um.
4: But he was sort of tidying up Tony Blair's mess as well. They, they should be friends. They should, I want a yeah. partnership programme between them. He should, you know, he could be like her Obi-Wan Kenobi That's arriving. <laughs> <Just>
0: wow. <lovely. laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd watch that sitcom.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say, because I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, speaking as an EU person, just how hilarious the other EU countries are finding Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, because it's so funny. It's so funny. And like, because I own an Irish passport, so it's like, I feel conflicted between like my sympathy for British people in Britain, and just my absolute love of drama. So <laughs> yeah. it's a difficult time for me, but yeah. it's so funny, guys. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> it's
0: going to run and
3: run. <laughs> just, just to be clear, it's going to destroy your economy, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want yeah. to put that on but the but table. Like, Sorry about that. No hard, no hard feelings.
4: <laughs> but if, as long as you guys are humiliated, Irish people will take it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Fair but enough. what do they
0: think about the border out there? Just to get back to the border. It's, I mean,
4: they've taken it, most Irish people see it just as a simple of, of just British arrogance and ignorance. Like so many of my friends, completely like thought the DUP were just created about six months ago. Mm. Like no knowledge of the Northern Irish peace process, the Good Friday Agreement, stuff that like Irish people just grow up watching on the news. That There's no knowledge about uh, on the news here or even like it's not even taught at schools. And I just think that's what's happening just British people are just ignorant about what this political situation in Northern Ireland is. Sorry, sorry about that.
0: (laughs) I'm awfully sorry. Um, (laughs) Whoever you are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Awfully sorry, Irish person.
1: It's strong. And
0: stable. Okay, this week the government announced pay rises for police and prison officers, so at least when all the other public sector workers riot because they're not getting one, (laughs) there's an outside chance there'll be someone there to lock them up.
1: (laughs) Here's roving reporter Jonathan Pye on this very (laughs) subject. With the pay freeze lifted for police and prison services and with a successful Labour amendment to include NHS workers, many are calling this the beginning of the end of austerity. Okay, well... Well, that backfired, didn't it? Let's do something that will be generally welcomed and is bound to make us more popular. A bit, bit like the election. Let's give police officers a pay rise of 1%. Yeah, I'm sure they're jumping for joy, Teresa. Crack open the special brew, lads. Police officers are earning on average 15% less than they were seven years ago. So a 1% pay rise. It's not so much strong and stable as just stingy. All this pay rise, in massive inverted commas, has done is remind us all that there was a public sector pay cap in the first place. She just reminded us of the Tories' apparent disdain for the people who do the most stressful and important work in our country. Because, obviously, we don't want nurses to be paid properly, do we? Firemen? Fuck them. Teachers? What the fuck have they ever done for us? No, no, no. Give them a bigger workload and less pay. Don't give the public sector a pay rise for seven years and, for most, still counting. That'll teach those teachers for being so fucking virtuous with their goddamn teaching and the thing is for those lucky enough to get it it isn't even a pay rise prison officers are getting a 1.7 percent pay rise on the same day inflation hits 2.9 percent the idea that anyone is going to buy the idea that this is anything but a pay cut is ridiculous for starters prison and police officers will be able to tell it's not a pay rise largely thanks to the small but nonetheless significant clue that they've got less fucking money And here's the best bit. Where's the money coming from? Answer, nowhere. No extra money to pay for it whatsoever. Not a fucking penny. You'll take this 1% pay rise from your existing budget. The same budget that we've been slashing for years. You'll probably have to lay a few people off. But hey, pay rise. And people are calling this the end of austerity. Bullshit. Yes, yes, I'm ready. Yeah. Well, it's been another week of turmoil between us and the EU. Big thanks there to Jonathan Pye. Strong and stable. Let's talk about Labour a
0: little bit more. Ever since Labour won the election, in the same way that I won Miss World in 1988, (laughs) um, it seems that the loving continues and we're all Corbynites now. Well, almost all. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I'll come to you in a moment, Dan. I can feel you straining at the loose. Kezia Dugdale resigned, saying it was time to pass on the baton, possibly so Corbyn supporters could hit someone else with it. I have to do this. I have to be balanced, but it's it's not easy for me. Um, Dan... You're a massive Corbyn fan, always have been. Um, your man has really, really pulled it off, eh?
2: Yeah, he has. I think he's. I sometimes think he does it just, just personally, personally annoy me. Uh, yeah, I mean the the one good. I mean the one good thing I I, I personally cling to after the, the disaster for me of the uh, the election result is since the election, um, just about everything Jeremy Corbyn has done. Has been the wrong thing. Um, so I take I take some comfort in, in in that. I mean, he had the opportunity to really sort of to reach out to the moderates in the party and bring them into the fold, and he hasn't done that. He said, "Screw you! I'm just going to keep hammering you," and his his supporters are going uh, are going to keep hammering him. I um, mean, embarked on, you know, his 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 victory tour around the country and his you know his 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 victory rally. At, at Glastonbury and I, and, I, and I don't think the British people really like politicians who sort of self-aggrandize in in, in, in quite that way
0: But but to get better election, because um, I was I came off the we Corbyn we have to go to get back to that thing that you got hopelessly wrong do nah, yeah, we have um, to mention that <laughs> no, that whole thing it's done move on move I also <laughs> I, I, I confess would got it wrong I got off the Corbyn bang and wagon about three months oh but you've come crawling, back, no, I you, come crawling back have <laughs> oh, you yeah, because yeah. my worry was he was unelect all this stuff me, is unelectable he's you know he wouldn't wouldn't start winning Scotland back he he wouldn't appeal to the, the young wouldn't come out he proved me absolutely wrong and do you not feel oh well actually because you're somewhere in Europe no, as a I Labour mean, man. No, um, absolutely. Well, but,
4: why are you criticising him for carry on doing the exact same things that resulted in an election that everybody said was impossible? Well, like that's it worked.
2: So it hope, my, <laughs> hope in my case. No, I mean I think. But do you still think he's unelectable no, no, look, I and think, th- bad? And... No, I think, t- I think I think I think. Where I would say, just in slight defence of myself, I think my criticism of Jeremy Corbyn was twofold. One, I thought he'd be a political disaster, but two, I hoped he'd be a political disaster because I, I was terrified of what would happen if he if he won the election. And actually, in fairness, which is why I did actually vote Conservative for the first for the for the first time um, in my life. And and I am slightly concerned. I mean, obviously you know, it, it was, in relative terms, uh, a, a, you know, a much better result than people expected, as he pointed out, not quite the the, the, the victory that some people actually, actually thought. But for me, it doesn't change the fundamentals. It doesn't change the fundamental flaws in terms of his economic policy. It doesn't change the fundamental flaws in terms of his foreign policy. It doesn't Change the fundamental fundamental flaws around the nature of Corbynism, how its politics is constructed, the anti semitism within the Labour Party hasn't suddenly been magicked away by the election result, and all those all those things still stand. So, um, but uh, can uh, I just
0: bring in Gronje? Uh, I mean, just you feel that? Uh, how do you feel about Jeremy? Are you
4: well? I have quite similar opinion to yours. I thought his ideas were all wonderful and brilliant, but I just thought, oh, yeah, it's not electable, it's not practical, and I thought he had surrounded. I thought. I liked his ideas and I liked his personality, but I thought maybe the people around him were not the best. So that's why I was very surprised by the election result. And I just thought he earned the right to sort of lead the party the way that he wants to. And I, I me personally, I prefer when Labour is sort of a broader church and when everybody's brought in and, you know, that all the different voices are listened to. But I definitely think after, you know, he got the result that nobody thought was possible, that he deserves a certain amount of respect and to be listened to.
0: I I prefer uh, to combat the accusations of anti-Semitism in Labour. I prefer to refer to Labour as a broader
3: synagogue. (laughs) Um,
0: uh, um, Ian, are you a diehard Corbynite?
3: No, I think he's rubbish. Um...
0: Despite the election? Um...
3: Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, he did all right. He, he I think he looks really good. I think the, the moment for me was when he was on the one show. And there's a bit where the, it's really, it's hard to cut this up. But, you know, they basically just, like, oh, tell us about your allotments. And he just looks like this really nice uncle. And you sort of think, oh, you look all right. And then you switch over and it's Theresa May. And she looks like this malfunctioning monstrosity. And you just think, what of those two options? I'll, I'll take the nice uncle, please. So I get that he's good at that. I don't. Even really get the campaign thing. I mean, I don't think he's particularly great on a speech. I think basically what's happened is that people's, they just want people to be genuine. That is the mm-hmm. core quality that people want in the politician right now. And he provides that because he can only be himself. However, campaigning is not the entirety of what a leader of the opposition does or what a prime minister should do. Part of it is holding the government to account. I don't want to be old fashioned about mm-hmm. this, but it does sort of matter to me that he holds the government to account. And I don't want to crack on back to the Brexit thing, but there is no other government policy. So there's nothing else for us to really talk about there. That is the main thing that is happening. It is, whichever your view on it, the most significant change that this country will experience since the war. He will not talk about it. He hasn't talked about it in the last PMQs. He hasn't talked about it in the PMQs before that. He avoids it at all costs. He is an absolute vacuum on basically the entirety of the business of government. So on that basis, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I get, you know, again, he did better than I thought. And I'm glad it worked out that way. I'm glad that Young are involved in politics. I'm glad that it was seen that you could have a transactional policy relationship with the Young of saying, well, look on tuition fees because it means that the Young's Economic interests will be better represented than they have been over the last few years. But if you ask me, is this guy a good leader of the opposition? Is he the kind of guy you'd want running the opposition during this period? My answer has to be no.
0: Just to remind everyone who's listening that Ian Dunt is Jeremy Corbyn's agent. <laughs> 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 but are you, as an official young person, yeah. Are you energised officially by Jeremy?
4: <sighs> I don't know.
0: Doesn't sound like the most noisy young.
4: I just, okay, my gut instinct is Jeremy Corbyn. He, some of the people who surround him seem to be quite nasty. And not Jeremy Corbyn himself, but some of the people, the people who really, really love Jeremy Corbyn seem to me really awful. Mm. Like the people on Twitter and Facebook and you're just like, ugh. I don't trust anybody who thinks politics is simple Mm. and that, you know, that the moral integrity somehow means that you're a brilliant leader. Like the best politicians are like, yeah, it's a lot more complicated than this. This is the best deal we can do. So that's why I am a bit sceptical about Jeremy Corbyn because I don't trust anybody who has simple solutions to anything.
3: You know, that was a great... I don't... There's loads of stuff I really don't agree with Macron about, especially on sort of civil liberties. He said some stuff on immigration I don't like. There's loads of stuff to disagree with there. But do you remember in the French election, there was a period where there were these workers outside of the factory, and Marine Le Pen went over to talk to them, and she just gave them, you know, you can imagine, sort of fascistic, vile horror. And then Macron went... And he refi- and cameras are on him they're basically shouting him he just refused to give them easy solutions to the problems he kept on saying look there there are forces here there are dynamics that it's really hard for us to control we can try to work within it but I cannot just give you this simple broad brush thing to tell you everything's going to be okay because it won't necessarily what I can tell you is I will work to find those bits and I t- just for that alone for, for the, st- the, the level at which debate was being said of recognizing complexity he deserved full credit for that in a way that Jeremy Corbyn doesn't and, and in a way that obviously you know Nigel Farage and the others on the right including the Right in government, do not.
0: Well, I I I just like to restore a little bit of balance uh, and say that I think the um, the manifesto was fantastic mm-hmm. it wasn't simple it had uh, it was costed uh, it was inspiring i thought jeremy was inspiring to even to old old hag like me uh, and 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 on election day I, I i always go and get out the vote and i went to this uh, constituency that you know i've been to before to get out the vote and i couldn't get into the room the flat where not not just the room the flat where you go and register because there were so many young people and that for me was exciting it's my podcast i'll have the last word
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is strong and stable
0: just before we wrap up uh, i've got a little quiz for you uh it's who said it this week so um um let's start with you dan um who said this about whom uh i'm not quite sure what the point of his interview was actually
2: i haven't got a clue mm. i need to I
0: should throw it open to the house for a bonus point right. i'm not quite sure what the point of. His i'm interview
3: presuming was. it was a Maybe let's i would go with Vince Cable talking about Jeremy Corbyn on the world at one. Uh,
0: no, you're one, one one step removed. It was uh, it was Jeremy Corbyn talking about Tony Blair's appearance on Mars. <laughs> uh, Tony Blair met the Pope this week, or as Tony Blair calls him, a weapon of mass. Uh, his his, <laughs> his Holiness thought the meeting went well, and so did the Pope. Um, right.
4: <laughs> do, do you think I bet in Tony Blair's house he's got a scale model of Number Ten in his house. Do you think? And he just lives there. Uh, yes. And nobody's broken it to him that he's not Prime Minister anymore. He's <laughs> yeah. just happy. He's,
0: yeah, and waging wars and what <laughs> have you. Yes, I think you're probably right. So, okay. Uh, well, Grosje, um, try this one. Who said this and who was it aimed at? Men who don't change nappies are deadbeat dads.
4: Is that um, Ian Duncan Smith on the new, uh, like, uh, policy on who gets... Child benefit, <laughs> that if you're not good at changing nappies, you're out.
0: I mean, there's wrong, and there's
3: like, leave the podcast now. Thanks, Someone talking about Jacob Bruce Mogg, isn't it? Yes, so, yes say, I'm sorry, I'm afraid, Gronje, that's right. So half-right. say maybe Jess
2: Phillips? I think Dan knows. Yeah, it was Harriet Harman. Huh.
0: Excellent. It was Harriet Harman talking about Jacob Rees-Mogg, who um, famously doesn't change his nappies. I'm um, Not his nappies, that would be... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 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 Latin scholar Jacob Rees-Mogg denies he's hopelessly out of touch with modern culture, and there's nothing he likes more than sitting down on a Saturday night, switching on the TV and watching The Ten Factor. Um, OK. <laughs> Thanks for that, on, yeah. uh, uh Ian, right, here's yours. Your quote. Geoffrey Boycott has still got my Tupperware.
3: Oh, Theresa May. On Test Match Pressure. Very, very good. Very good.
0: Nailed it. I and thought
4: that was from Hillary Clinton's new book. <laughs> <The> Jeffrey
2: Boycott. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: That,
2: would have, that wow. was the title, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> I mean, you were great Jeffrey with... me. you've sort of- <laughs> got my Tupperware. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Theresa May and Gordon Brown was a great sitcom, but to see Jeffrey Boycott and Hillary Clinton, that... Ah, oh, amazing. The so, Theresa May and Jeffrey Boycott don't have much in common. One has a reputation for being disliked by teammates and stubbornly hanging around despite being boring, you see, when I'm going with this... <laughs>
3: (laughs) (laughs) And the other is a
0: former cricketer. (laughs) Ah, you were there before me. Well, that's it from us. I'd like to thank our brilliant guests, Ian Dunt, Gronya Maguire and Dan Hodges, our special correspondent, Jonathan Pye, and our writers, Andrea Mann, Robin Flavel, Dan Bowman and Andrew Doyle. Watch or indeed listen out for a special bonus Extra Strong and Extra Stable podcast gem coming on Monday, exclusively on Deezer. And don't forget to comment on iTunes if that's where you're listening and like and retweet and all that on your socials. We'll be back quicker than Ted Cruz can do delete his internet history in other words next friday
1: see you then and (laughs) goodbye that was strong and stable we'll catch you next time please subscribe
4: deezer originals